a little bit west. So uh, it was the wrong direction. And uh, as I was uh, singing the song, the first Noel, it says, they saw the star in the east beyond them far. That's not possible. Uh, they were in the east, and they came from the east. So the star would have had to been on the other side. Not everything in your songbook is scriptural, all right? Uh, so uh, don't we don't depend on it. We depend on the Bible. And, and so there's not a lot. We know what their gifts were. It was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And uh, we'll find some things about those gifts that may even be a little different than what we think and, and what we understand. The best thing that we could find out, the, the best knowledge that we have is this word magi or the wise men as it's translated correctly in your King James Bible uh, were men that were part of a religious caste. Uh, they were all over the Middle East, mainly uh, in the cities of, of Babylon and then in the capital city of Persia, which would have been Shushan and, and uh, into the Arabian Peninsula. There would have been these groups of men who were learned and, and were basically somewhere between astronomers and astrologers. Does anybody know the difference between the two? Uh, astronomers watch the planets. Astrologers try to tell your future by watching the planets. Astronomy, good. Astrology, bad, all right? Uh, do we got that? Uh, if, if you're one of those people that pick up the newspaper, oh, I just want to see what the stars say about me. Don't do that. That's bad stuff. And, and by the way, I can assure you of one thing. Uh, astrology is all based on the calendar. And uh, let me ask you a question. How many of you are familiar with the ancient Babylonian calendar? That's what it's all based on. Nobody's seen one except in archaeology digs for the last 5,000 years of history, 4,000 years of history. Uh, and uh, let me tell you something. They argue about all kinds of dates, do they not? I mean, we have... B.C., A.D., B.C.E., uh, C.E., uh, uh, A.U.G., uh, all these A.D., all these different calendars that we try to date things on. And uh, the Jewish people have their own calendar. The Chinese people have their own calendar. I mean, there's so many different calendars and stuff. The astrology charts could not be correct because you don't even have the right calendar. And yet people... Read those things every day. Now, these men were somewhere between astrologers and astronomers. They were watching. We know that because they saw this uh, terrestrial phenomenon. They called it a star. It appeared. It disappeared. It reappeared, according to our text. And... We know that they were watching these things and somehow they made a connection. And we're going to get into that in the message this morning. But these were men that were part of this group that were watching things. And uh, it, it goes back in ancient, most ancient of histories. How many of you have ever heard of a place called Stonehenge? As far as we can tell, Stonehenge was built by people who watched the movement of the stars and of the planet. The Great Pyramid in Giza. How many have seen the pictures of the big pyramids? There is one day a year. There's one shaft that goes from the outside, inside the pyramid to what they call the Grand Tomb. We don't know if it was a tomb or not because there's no evidence that anybody was ever buried there. Uh, but on one day of the year, the sun shines right down that hole, way up in the middle of the pyramid, and lights that center chamber down in the midst of those thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of tons of stone. 
Let me tell you, there's, we don't know as much as we think we know. And there were these people, and they were wise men. They studied all of these movements, and they could plan different things, and they were able to maintain their calendars and all of these things. They, they were not ignorant people that were sitting there spinning their Ouija boards and doing all this kind of stuff like we would think that they were doing. They, they were wise men. They had intelligence and learning. They were some of the first, well, I guess we would probably call them scientists, that's why I said they were somewhere between astronomers and astrologers, and they knew a lot more about some of these things than we did clear up into the 1500s when we first began discovering all of these things. But I don't think we've discovered near as much as uh, maybe we could just say rediscovering or relearning. And so uh, these wise men were part of this group as far as we can tell. That's what their name tells us. Their gifts tell us something else. Their gifts were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There is one area of the world where all three of those things come together with the direction that the Bible gives as east. How many of you ever looked at a map with Jerusalem on it? What's directly east of Jerusalem? Saudi Arabia. It's east. You say, well, what about Babylon? Look at the map. It's north. In fact, the prophecies in the scriptures say destruction is coming out of the north. And it was talking about Nineveh, the king of Assyria, and Babylon, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. And it says that is north. And you actually look on the map and it's more north than it is anything else. Do you know that frankincense and myrrh were produced in the Saudi Arabian Peninsula? Yes, they were. Don't <laughs> shake your head no. And that the uh, gold was also had in abundance there. It's always been part of that area of the world. The Midianites all had gold. They lived there. There, was, there were these people that were there. That's about all we can tell. Chances are... These guys came from Saudi Arabia or maybe Yemen, which is uh, southern of the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. There's been a Jewish population in the country of Yemen uh, since the time that Sennacherib carried the northern ten tribes away. How many of you have ever heard of the Yemeni Jews? Uh, it's an interesting little bit of history. Their average height is about four foot tall. You say, what does that have to do with anything? Well, when Muslim, Islam took over, there's a rule in the Quran that no one who is not Islamic can be exalted above someone who is of the religion of Islam. And so they literally oppressed these people. They were not allowed to ride a camel. They had to walk stoop-shouldered because if they stood taller than any Islamic man, they were beaten according to the laws of the Quran. And these... You many Jews have, over the centuries, literally shrunk as people. And they're not pygmies like in Africa, but they're their own little group of people. And I mean, they're little. So the Jewish population there has been in the Arabian Peninsula for a long, long time before Islam, a long, long time before any of these people. But if these wise men were truly Jews and truly had the scriptures, why in the world would they have come to see Herod? Herod was not a Jew. Herod did not live according to the Jewish law. He was in cahoots with Rome. He was a wicked, wicked man. If these people were truly Jews, they would have never gone to Herod nor talked to him. The, the direction that they went in, the way that they traveled, tells us that these were non-Jewish people. You say, where in the world did the non-Jews... I thought Jesus came to Israel in the house of Israel. Well, John 3.16 says, For God so loved what? The world. Amen? The world. That he gave his only begotten son. Let me just give you a quick picture of where we're going to try to go today. The shepherds, we believe, the best we can tell, 
They were the priest shepherds who kept the temple flocks. They were the ones who had really the most involvement in this thing. They were religious. They were serving God the best they knew how. God came to the men who raised the temple sacrifices to give them the first dominion, the first proclamation of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we have Simeon and Anna. They were not priests. They did not have any special relationship with God, but they were Jewish. And they were very devout. They were truly watching for the coming of the Lord. Then we come up with these wise men. It's kind of interesting. The Lord worked everything out. The story of Ruth in Sunday school and the three wise men. We didn't plan it that way, but it's just nice how it worked out. The story of Ruth is God's love for the Gentile world. And here we have the Gentile world coming to worship the newborn Christ in the three wise men. You see, God's always been interested in the whole world. And that's what these wise men teach us. Here we have non-Jewish, certainly dabbling, in, if, if not influenced greatly by the the wicked and dark arts of astrology, sitting there watching the planets, and they watch this thing happen. This star appears to them. And by the way, I was reading in a book preparing for this message, and, and uh, uh, they, uh, the author of the book, Mr. Edersheim, uh, went through and he researched Chinese astronomical charts and find out that they recorded some great event in the galaxy about the same exact time that Jesus was born. Interesting? Coincidental? No, just Bible, amen. And so as we, we look here, we find some things about these men, and we do know one other thing. They worshipped Jesus. Now, that word worship is incredibly special in the Bible. Do you remember when Peter went to see Cornelius? Cornelius, as soon as he found out that Peter was the messenger that God had sent to him, what did he do? He fell down and tried to worship Peter. Peter reaches down and grabs him up and says, I'm a man, don't worship me. Do you remember what happened in the book of Revelation? Several times, actually, is... The angel was there giving John these visions and helping him write down and record what we have now as the book of Revelation several times. At least twice, John fell down to worship him and that angel grabbed a hold of him and said, No, no, uh, the, spirit of, uh, the, the witness of Christ is a spirit of prophecy. You're not to worship me. I'm a fellow servant. Worship was something reserved in the Scripture only for God. And any time worship is recorded as being given to anything, any person, any other entity other than God Himself, it is condemned in the strongest terms that the Bible gives. It came under the penalty of death in the Old Testament law. To even mention, let's make an idol so that we can see what the heathen do, was the penalty of death. Worship was something these men did. I believe that one of these days when I get to heaven, the wise men are going to be there. Now, I don't know how many are going to be there. I'm kind of curious to find out. How about you? How many wise men were there? And we'll find out whether they actually came from the Arabian Peninsula or from Persia. Uh, that's basically your only two options as you're heading east. And we'll find out where they came from. And we'll find out the most mysterious part of all, how they made the connection between the appearance of this star and the birth of the Jewish king. Now, we have one clue in the Scripture. But what I want us to do is I want us to look at the wise men and their behavior and see if God doesn't have some things He wants to teach us 
about this thing called worship. I believe he does. Number one, as we read the story, it says now, verse 1 of chapter 2 of the book of Matthew, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And it says, When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written in the, by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. He didn't say baby. Uh-oh. For the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod. They departed into their own country another way. That's the end of the story. It took us all a minute and a half, two minutes to read everything we know about the wise men. Sorry, no little drummer boy. Hate to disappoint you there. We do not know where they came from, we don't know much about it, but we do know this. They were incredibly observant. They were watching. One of the greatest problems we have today with an understanding of God and developing a relationship with Him is a word that can be no better used than the word carelessness. We are careless when we approach to God. When, when we talk about God, I mean, there are people out there today that refer to God as the old man upstairs. That's blasphemous as well as carelessness. You, you just don't refer to God that way. He is God. He is the creator of this entire universe. There is enough power in His spoken word to arrange the atoms so they stay together. It says, by Him all things consist. One day, He's going to pull that protecting hand off and every element is going to fly apart. It says it's going to melt with a fervent heat. The atomic bomb knows nothing. If I could release the atomic energy in this sheet of paper that's on my notes... There would be no more Astoria. Just praise God, paper is a very atomically stable item. Amen? The only thing you can do is burn it to ashes and it won't even do anything but a little bit of smoke. But that's how much power is in the atoms. It's just that Jesus is holding them all together. Amen? Oh, he's let us play with a few of them. And we've seen what it does. We obliterated an entire island in the South Pacific with a 50 megaton explosion. You know what they're doing on Bikini Atoll today? That's where they blew it up, vaporized the island. They're fishing. It's a tourist spot. They built a hotel. You see, God's creation is a little bigger than man's destruction. Amen. And so I'm not too worried about all these environmentalists and if this is global warming, let's have a little more. Amen.
it helps with the heating bills. But uh, as we look here, these men were observant. They were not careless. They were watching what was going on everywhere that they had the ability to observe. And when they saw this, uh, this terrestrial phenomenon, when they saw this star appear... The, uh, the astronomers tell us it was a convergence of several planets and uh, inside a constellation and with the star and the planets coming together, it made such a phenomena in the night sky that no one could deny that this thing was happening and it happens about once every 800 years, they said. So I, I don't expect to see it in my lifetime, but... Uh, they can trace this thing and they've followed it back and they said it happened just about this time. And one of the most interesting things is, they said, if you left Jerusalem heading toward Bethlehem, it would look as if this terrestrial phenomenon, this thing in the uh, celestial, actually, I'm sorry, using the wrong adjective there, uh, this uh, phenomena in the sky would stand right over the city of Bethlehem. As you were moving, it would look like it was moving. Now, I'm just telling you what the man said that did all the research. Sure makes sense to me. I mean, it fits with what the Bible says, so I'm not going to argue with him. Amen? Uh, but they noticed this thing. You say, why did it take them two years to get there? Didn't they have such a long journey? There's no evidence that there was such a long journey it took them two years to get there. But I'd like to move to our next point. They had to, been, had to have been extremely diligent in their study and in their search for that connection because there's only one connection that I can find in the Scripture where these wise men would have been able to make something, and that's in the book of Numbers. And, and we're going to be dealing with another infamous man of Scripture. How many of you remember Balaam? Remember Balaam? We just studied about him in Sunday school a little bit. And in Balaam's prophecy, as he was in the land of Moab, does anybody know where Moab is, by the way? Uh, it's right on the edge of Saudi Arabia just below Jordan. Interesting, isn't it? But here's what uh, Balaam said in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. Give you a minute to get there. Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. Balaam is in the midst of his prophecy. He says, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a what? Star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Seth, Sheth. So, we have Balaam saying there's going to be a star arising out of Jacob. The wise men, this is the only connection I can find. I'm just offering you what I know. And, and what this was Balaam's prophecy. It would not have been only recorded in the Scripture. I am sure that Balak and the Moabites would have kept records if they were still in existence. They may have been in some ancient scroll. We don't know. They, they certainly could have found the Jewish Scriptures and began leafing through them as they were looking through the libraries of the world trying to find some connection between this uh, thing that happened in the heavens, this appearance of the star. That could have easily taken two years of searching. What do you think? Well, here it is, a king. A star is going to arise out of Jacob, and there's the star. Now, being that they were not truly Jewish men and truly understanding, they said, there's got to be something here. It's got to be with the Jews. It's got to be there, so we'll go to Jerusalem. Now, there's evidence that this 
sign in the heavens had disappeared because when we get back to Matthew 2 and verse 10, it says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. It, it implies there that they hadn't been seeing the star for some period of time, that it had disappeared from their view. And they had come to Herod knowing, believing that he would have been at least as careful as they had been in observing all of these signs in the heavens. In that, they were sorely mistaken, were they not? Herod didn't care a thing about what was going on except what he was doing. Isn't that a perfect picture of the Gentile world today? There are some who are interested in finding God. And you know, God is more interested in you finding Him than you are in finding God. And God took these misguided, misunderstood group of men who were very diligent in their observance. They did the research. They made this connection somehow. Because in the book of Romans, chapter 1, what does it tell us? It says, so that they are without excuse. The whole world has to know that there is a God. It says, because God has revealed it to them. There is not a people group in the world that does not have the idea of right and wrong. Where did that come from? Have you ever noticed that in the aboriginal groups that have not been influenced by Western civilization in three millennia, that murder is still wrong over there? And many of them have an understanding of the difference between warfare and murder. I mean, we got judges that sit in, in supreme courts across the states of this land that don't understand the difference. We've got people that don't understand anything about capital punishment, but the aborigines practice it. wonder where they got that idea from. You see, there's a lot of things in this world that God has promised to reveal to people. And if you'll just open your eyes, it's there. Amen. These wise men came. After diligent inquiry, they were able to make this connection. And I believe God helped them make that connection. I believe that God was intervening in, in their search and in their desire to find out the meaning of this thing. And God brought these wise men to Jerusalem. And they went to the king. And of course, there were enough of them that got the whole city of Jerusalem riled up about this. There had been hundreds of thousands of deaths in the past hundred years or so as the Romans had come to intervene in this part of the world. And Herod was holding on to a tenuous peace with everything that he had. And if anybody got in Herod's way, they, they just disappeared. Herod was a murderer. He was not afraid to kill. In fact, we'll find out that he went into Bethlehem according to the time of the wise men and murdered every little child that was two years old and younger. Now, chances are there were not more than 10 or 15 infants of that age, little children of that age in the whole city of Bethlehem because Bethlehem wasn't that big. But I would have hated to have been the parents of one of those children that lost their life because of the wickedness of Herod. That's the kind of man Herod was. So Herod calls in all these wise men and all these people and he says, where is the Messiah going to be born? And strangely enough, they come up with Micah chapter 5 verse 8, I believe is a reference, and they say the city of Bethlehem. It was not a mystery. And so Herod, in his cunning, he says... Go to Bethlehem and you find him. I think Herod had the idea that being wicked and everything like he was, he would never find anything. So he said, you go find him. And when you find him, you come back and tell me so that I can worship him too. Herod had other plans, didn't he? Of course, God took care of it. 
as he always does. But I want us to look at verse 11. It says, And when they were come into the house, not the manger, not the stable, they saw the young child, a little different than a baby, with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped them, right? Is that what your Bible says? If it does, you got the wrong one. Amen? It says, They fell down and worshipped Him. Almost all these pictures of the wise men worshipping, they have Mary holding little baby Jesus and the wise men all falling down and worshipping them. The Bible is very clear. They did not worship Mary. They did not give any veneration to her whatsoever. Their worship and their uh, um, uh, their worship was given to the little child. Now, could you imagine this entourage of great learned scholars from a different part of the world, speaking different language and in a different culture, dressed in totally a different way, barging into this house? That's who we're looking for, a little baby, and falling down on their faces before him. You know what that sounds like to me? Humility. Submission. That's the whole idea of bowing down. When you bow down before a king, what you were saying is, King, I trust you and your authority so much that if you decide I should die, I am willing to die because you cannot defend yourself with your face on the floor and your hands underneath. That's what this whole position of worship is all about. It is a total submission of our authority, my safety, anything that I am before this person. And these wise men came in and fell down on the floor in front of a two-year-old child. Can you imagine that? And I believe that that two-year-old child understood what was going on, don't you? Because he was Jesus Christ. He did not lay aside his God, his person of God, just so he could be born again. We talked about that, how he just wrapped himself up. He hid his glory from us. We could only see just little bits of it here and there. But he was always God. But he couldn't express all of those things. That little body had to learn to walk, just like your little body has to learn to walk. That, those eyes and that mind had to connect the reading and all of those things and learn those things. How many of you just love to study? Very few of us, I'm sure. It is a discipline, is it not? And Jesus had to discipline himself and train himself because he had a human body that was just like ours. But all of the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in that little body. Those men knew who they were worshiping. And that little boy knew why they were worshiping him. They submitted themselves to his authority. That's why I believe we'll see them in heaven someday. Amen? And I want us to understand something about worship. Until you're willing to do a total surrender and a total submission to who God is, you're not, you're not ready to get saved, let alone worship Him. Because Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? I've heard people who are Christians and made professions and been baptized and all of these things over the years, and 
And I've heard them say, well, I'm not sure that I'm willing to give my life to God for Him to do with me what He wants. Now, I'm not God, and I'm glad I'm not God. I'm glad I can't see in that heart and, and know whether that person is saved or unsaved. But, but when somebody starts making statements like that, I get nervous for their soul. These wise men showed us something here about our worship for God that is sorely missing today. A total submission and humiliation before the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You notice they didn't open their treasures and give anything until they had already submitted themselves to Him. Amen? There's a whole life, life, life of learning in that one statement, is there not? We cannot offer God anything that will be pleasing to Him until we have first submitted everything we are to Him. Somebody says, Oh, you preachers, you just preach about money. No, we do very little preaching about money here. God wants your heart. And if He's got your heart, guess what? He's got your wallet too, amen? But if your heart's in your wallet, forget about it. If you're not careful, you might sit on it and hurt it. You better keep your heart centered on the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? It's a lot safer that way. Anyway, let's move back to our subject. After they submitted themselves to Him and humbled themselves in His presence, then they opened their treasures. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. As we said, the Arabian Peninsula is, if we draw the lines, yes, frankincense came from Sheba, Somalia, Ethiopia, that area of the world, as well as it did from the Arabian Peninsula. But... That's south, not east. If we go east, we find all of these things. And you say, well, why is that important? Well, when we give an offering to God, He never asks for something that we don't have. He asks for what we do have. Amen? I'm sure you heard the story about the preacher was over visiting one of his members and he said, hey, Hank, if God gave you a million dollars, would you give half of it to the church? And he says, yes, pastor, you know I'd do that. And the pastor was, well, what if you only had a hundred thousand, Hank? He said, well, preacher, you know I'd, I'd give half of it to the church. Well, Hank, what if you had twenty dollars? He said, that's not fair, preacher. You know I have twenty dollars. See, that's the way we work, isn't it? But real worship is the best that you have. Now, God doesn't accept the best that you have because it's the best that you have, all right? In fact, many times, God will say, give me the best that you have and I'm going to change it and make it better, amen? Aren't you glad he did that with your life? How many of you here today have a changed life because of what Jesus Christ has done inside of you? Could you say amen to that? But when we worship Him, remember Moses? He said, what's in your hand? Moses said, a rod. God says, I'll use that. Afterwards, it was called the rod of God. Moses got to carry it, Amen. They presented their gifts. Gold. And we're going to sing a song for invitation. It is not an invitation song, but that's okay. We're going to sing We Three Kings. I like that song. I like to sing it without the chorus. Because I like all the words going together. And it's, gold is always a picture of deity in the Scripture. It is the most precious commodity traded universally by mankind. Oh, yes, I know. Platinum is worth more than gold. Mm -hmm. And so is uranium. But don't ever wear a ring made out of uranium, all right? It'll burn your finger off. Um, 
the idea, it was a universal exchange. It was the highest priced commodity in the ancient world. Frankincense was one of the most precious of all the spices. Its value in ounce per ounce was probably very close, if not more, than gold. Because an ounce of frankincense would be a lot more than an ounce of gold. And this idea of, of frankincense has been used different places in the Bible to symbolize the Holy Spirit, to symbolize the presence of God. It was part of, of the incense that was used in the, uh, in the tabernacle and, and uh, in, to symbolize and picture our prayers. It was a trade item. The people of Arabia would gather the frankincense and they would make it and they would take it to other parts of the world and they would trade it for things that they couldn't get in the Arabian Peninsula. It was a very valuable thing. That's why it said they opened their treasures. And the last was myrrh. Now, the little song we're going to sing in a few minutes here, it says... Uh, myrrh was a picture of Christ's suffering. But you look through the Bible. Trace myrrh through the Bible. The first place it's mentioned is in the book of Genesis as a trade item as they were going down to... The Midianites were going down to Egypt. Uh, Midianites happened to live in the Arabian Peninsula, by the way. And they were taking myrrh along with all of their other things to trade in the land of Egypt. We see it in the book of Esther as one of the spices that Esther used, one of the perfumes, actually, that Esther used to prepare herself to meet the king. And then in the book of Song of Solomon, the idea, again, of using myrrh as a perfume, as something beautiful and special between husband and wife is, is used there as a picture. And, and so this idea of myrrh just being, it's only mentioned one time, as a burial spice, and that is with the burial of Jesus Christ. It was a very precious, again, wonderful thing. It was also used as part of the perfume that was ground up and sprinkled around the floor of the tabernacle and the temple to keep the air pure in the temple. And so as we look at this thing, we find out that they gave their treasures, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, all three exceeding precious and costly items. In fact, if we were going to the Arabia Peninsula and someone were trying to show you the best of the best, this is what they'd bring. Is it not unusual that they would bring something like this to honor the king? whom they worshiped as God, by the way. Now we're going to take just a few minutes to try to tie this whole thing up. Two weeks ago, we talked about the shepherds. The first reaction they had to the revelation of God was fear. Without fear, there is no worship. Without that reverence, without that, that literal understanding of the greatness of God to the point to where it makes you just a little bit on the shaky side. We're not looking for some emotional thing here that you drum up inside yourself. We're talking about an understanding of the power of God. It, it generated excitement and and curiosity, they could not just hear about it. They had to experience it. Amen? They told everyone they met, and they glorified and praised God. That's what worship is all about. Last week, we found that Simeon and Anna had some things in common, and their worship was under the influence of the Holy Spirit, not for a day, not for an hour, not for... But for their whole lives, 84 years, Anna had lived in the temple complex. Their entire lives were about worship. They were so full of the Word of God that when something happened, they 
told people, this is what the Scripture says. They were ready. They were able. They were prepared by God because they were living close to Him. They happened to be alive at that time. And when that little baby came into the temple, 40-some days old, 41 days old, I believe, they immediately were drawn to that point and worshipped that little baby right there in the temple. Then we see the Gentiles. They were observant. They were very careful and diligent in their search. And when they found him, they wasted no time to prostrate themselves before that little child, less than two years old. They knew who he was. They worshipped him. They gave him treasures. And they glorified him as God. That's worship. We sing songs like, Oh, come all ye faithful, come let us adore him. And I want us to just grab a hold of this. We have a representative here in these three people groups of every person, every type of people alive on the earth at the time of Jesus' birth. We have the priests who were in charge of the worship of God in the shepherds. We have the devout Jewish believers in Anna and Simeon. And we have the Gentile world pictured by the, three, by the wise men. I still want to call three wise men. We don't know how many there were. Yet everything about their worship, my friend, was not something that they put on the day that they saw... Jesus. It was something that they were living years and years and decades. In the case of Anna and Simeon, a whole lifetime before that little baby was born. Do you think those wise men just all of a sudden were walking out and saw a star saying, huh, that's unusual? No, they had been studying those things all their life. They were looking for that sign and God gave it to them. And He allowed them to make that connection and show up in Jerusalem and be directed to the city of Bethlehem. Somebody said, well, that star moved. That, could, that had to have been an angel. Well, it could have been. I'm not going to argue that point. We don't know. But we do know that they were careful enough and diligent enough. And they had been that way. You don't become careful overnight now, do you? You don't learn diligence in a week. These are things that run deep into the root and soul of a human being. I want to challenge you today that the only way we can get these things is by surrendering completely to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It starts with salvation. Amen? But God is interested in everything we do. You say, you mean God's interested in me at work? Oh, yes, He is. He wants you to have a good testimony. Unless you're a barkeeper or bartender or something, then he wants you to get an honest job. Amen? Uh, God wants you to do things to the best of his ability so that people will look at you and say there's something special about you and that special thing is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the shepherds, everybody that saw them said, what's wrong with these crazy shepherds? They said, let me tell you, we saw the Messiah. We worshiped him. What would the world see if we got as excited as the shepherds about what we did here today? Now, you see, there's lots of churches that are full of excitement, but it's all gone as soon as the last amen and they walk out the door. 
God wants it to be real every day. Everyone, amen? Then we'll be ready when he shows up like Simeon and Anna. God wants to do things through our lives so he can get credit for it. That's what worship is, amen? It is a humbling of ourselves so that Christ can be exalted. And we learn those things by these three representatives that God chose to come and worship Jesus. And the question is, where do we show up in this thing? You say, well, I'm, I'm saved. I've been saved a long time and I'm trying to, to live for God. You know, it's easy. And, and I'll be first one to admit it. It is easy to lose our joy and, and to get into the drudgery of life and, and just... Forget about how great it is to be able to come to a place and sing these hymns in worship to our God. We need to... That only comes... Don't try to gin it up from the inside out. Let God do it. Amen? And if it isn't there, you ought to be down on your knees saying, God, I need a little bit more of that thing that the shepherds had. Maybe you're looking at your life and saying, boy, I've wasted a lot of time. I'm just not prepared. I, I need a little bit more of that daily walking with the Lord like Anna and Simeon, even when things aren't exciting and going on. I mean, she had been there 84 years waiting for that two minutes to hold that little baby boy. And her whole life was satisfied because of that two minutes that she held that little child and knew who he was and is, by the way. Maybe you're here today and you're searching. That's what the wise men did. God will be found if you only submit to him his way. Amen. And by the way, God's plan for your life is not just salvation. It's the way you walk, the way you talk, the job you work, the plans, your aspirations, your hopes. It's everything about you as a human being. And if you're not willing to give God your best and your greatest, then what do you think of God is the question I'd like to ask you. Many times we... We choose not to do things for God because of fear of other people. Well, let's go back to the shepherds. They feared God more than they did anything else that night, didn't they? We need to understand. And by the way, one thing we just haven't touched on yet, but it's there all through this thing. When God told the wise men to go home another way, what did they do? They obeyed, amen? You see, when you got this worship thing down, the obedience part isn't so hard anymore. You want to stop struggling with all of the things of this world? Just get obedient to God right where you are and He'll take away those desires and He'll peel away all of those false hopes and things in our lives and we'll find out that this child, this Savior, which is Christ the Lord, is an all-consuming thing that that will fill your life to overflowing with goodness and blessing and mercy of the grace of God. That's what worship is. Let's bow our heads. And I just want you to think about a few things this morning. We're going to pray in just a minute. And then we're going to stand. We're going to sing that song. And then we're going to give you an opportunity 
to come forward and spend some time at an old-fashioned altar asking God to help you understand and do and live this thing called worship. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this day. And Lord, my prayer is that each one of us here would submit ourselves completely before Jesus Christ. Lord, that if there be one that is unsaved today, that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, for those here today that are saved, that, Lord, you would impart to us a desire to have some of the things that these people had as they worshipped Jesus. Lord, build within us that excitement. Lord, that desire to just be consistent day in and day out to give the absolute best that you have given us to you. Lord, we want to worship you, I believe, as a church. Why else would people be here today? I hope there would not be those of false pretense and false hope. But Lord, that our hearts would be centered upon the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We ask you to work in our hearts today that we may bring worship that is acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Page number 124. And we're just going to sing the chorus after the first and the fifth verse. And we're going to have Brother Franz come up here and lead us so it sounds a little better. And we're going to... down and think about those words as the piano continues to play. 
And if you need to come and pray, now is the time to do so. I want to just give you that opportunity. God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. We want to worship Jesus Christ. Amen. And we can learn some things by the stories that are given to us in the scriptures. And uh, it's not the kind of message you just jump up and down and say, wow, that's neat. But hopefully we'll live a little bit of it this week. Amen. And that's what it's all about. I uh, want to just remind you tonight, we will not meet at 6 o'clock at our normal time. Uh, we will meet at 9 o'clock, and uh, we will go right through to the midnight hour at 12.01. Hopefully, we'll say a prayer. Amen. Uh, anybody that needs a ride home, we will do our best to get you a ride home, uh, to help you get home. And see, the reason we do things this way is just trying to use a little bit of wisdom New Year's Eve is one of the most dangerous nights of the year to be on the road because of all the drunks. But guess what they're doing at midnight? They're getting drunk, amen? They're inside somewhere, and so that's when we're going to go home, uh, and we'll have you home by 12, 15, 12, 30, and then you'll be safe and secure before any of the bad people get out on the road, amen? And uh, so want to uh, encourage you to start your new year with the Lord Jesus Christ. And our teens are going to be doing the service. Andrew's going to be leading the singing. Charlene's going to be greeting. Uh, Nathaniel is supposed to be the usher, wherever he is. I don't see him this morning. Uh, and then uh, uh, Peter is going to try his first sermon. And you can tell he's just a little nervous. And uh, we're going to be having some special music by different ones and and uh, testimony and a lot of good things. want you to be here tonight if you're at all capable of doing so. It'll be a good time of rejoicing with the Lord. Uh, one other quick thing is we need to have our annual business meeting. We only do it once a year, but uh, uh, we need to do that. It looks like the calendar talking with Brother Saravia downstairs trying to negotiate everything that uh, January 21st, it would be the third Sunday of the month. And uh, uh, I guess the question is, we've done a lot of potlucks where everybody brings something. Or uh, I was wondering if this year, if we wanted to, uh, if Uncle George is open, let him do the cooking this year. Just go down and bring it up and chicken and lamb and baked potatoes and salad. Does that sound good to everybody? And uh, we'll just need a few guys to run down there and pick it up. And uh, then our ladies can just set it up real quick. And right after church, we'll go downstairs and enjoy a meal together. And then we'll review what the Lord has done in the past year. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, 
looks like we're going to be able to take on every missionary we had on our list, and we might even have a little left over to do a few projects with. Amen? And uh, so uh, let's uh, pray about that, be a part of what God is doing here, and uh, I'll tell you, it's exciting to serve the Lord. And all God's people said, all right, speaking of which, let's have an offering, all right? Uh, We'll have our men come at this time. Holy God, thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you for your love, your endless love, as you give your begotten Son to save us from our sin. Thank you for your um, continuous loving us throughout the year 2006. We pray that um, please always uh, protect us, more protection will be us this coming 2007. And um, bless the night service tonight and um, we ask to bless the tithes and offering that will uh, uh, protect the holy work in your ministry bless the soul that uh, accept you as being the savior bless the cheerful giver continues to protect us as we go home in your precious name, we pray and ask your protection and thanks everything. Amen. Amen. Brother Franz, come and lead us as we're dismissed. Seven hundred five need the words. Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. It will joy and comfort give you. Take it, then where'er you go, precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of heaven, precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of heaven. Thank you for being with us.